we've got another wonderful visitor, and uh, her name's Heidi, and I first met her in the red light district of Soho about 30 years ago. And uh, she's part of a church there and has, wants to tell us a bit about the ministry she's had there uh, and give us an opportunity to buy a book she's written. So let's welcome Heidi. Hello, thank you very much. I've, I've, I'm very grateful to be invited to uh, sell my book because I had to buy 350, so there's still uh, some to sell. And I came uh, to uh, City Gates in Soho in 1988 as a Bible student, and I did my um, practical assignment there. City Gates was planted by Ictus in partnership with um, Youth with Submission. And one of the first people I met there was uh, Lucy, and I did some of my first visits with her. And now, 30 years later, they're not back here, but sometimes, as you know. So, and wh wh while she's here, she's visiting with me the Chinese massage parlors, which is very helpful because she speaks Chinese. I thought I would stay in uh, Soho for the rest of my life, but in 2015, I felt that God was starting to say that if it would be okay for me to leave and uh, do something different. And uh, he also uh, challenged me to write uh, stories about the work in the Red Light District, which I started to do in the spring of uh, um, 2017. And uh, it got published, and it came out uh, in January. And while I was writing uh, the stories, I just felt again and again just amazing love of Jesus, not just to the women we visited, but also uh, his amazing grace and love towards me, because without that, I would not have been able to do this work for uh, nearly 30 years. Um, I just would like to share one uh, brief story, which... Uh, was maybe just an experience of five or ten minutes, but uh, and this is something which will stay with me the rest of, the li of my life. I went to visit uh, one of the flats, which actually is based in Chinatown, uh, with uh, a co-worker, and it was a woman who I knew quite well. Uh, she was Jewish, she was about my age at that time, maybe uh, in her early 40s, and uh, she had a very uh, difficult life because of the man she used to work for. And at the time we visited, she didn't work as a model any longer. We call the women, the sex workers, we call them models. But she worked as a maid, which is the woman who works with the sex worker. She opens the door and asks the clients in and usually does uh, uh, the cleaning and the cooking and some other uh, work. So she was working as a maid when we visited, and uh, we went into the flat and sat down like we often do, and just uh, started talking. Can't remember about what. I don't think we we actually talked about uh, Jesus when we go and visit. We we try to build up relationships with people, and uh, so we talk about life and things. Uh, which they would like to share with us. 
And then just suddenly, the presence of Jesus came into that room. The presence was so strong, I've never ever experienced that before and since, that I literally turned behind me because I thought that Jesus was standing behind me in physical form, but I didn't see him. I just could feel his presence, and it was so overwhelming, I didn't know what to say. So after a few minutes, I what felt a long time, I said to my co-worker, let's go. And when we went outside, I've asked her, did you did you feel that presence? Because I wasn't sure if it was just me or if, if you know, what really happened. She said, yes, I could feel the presence of Jesus. So uh, we carried on our visits. And the week later, when I wanted to go back and visit that lady, she wasn't there anymore. And I said, what happened to her? She said, oh, she left. She hasn't come back. So I phoned her. And uh, she said, yes, she left the work that she wasn't going to go back anymore. And uh, uh, we met up a few times for coffee, and I've always forgot her to ask uh, about that incident where I felt Jesus came into the room. But one day I remembered, and uh, I said, oh, do you remember the last time we visited you in that flat? Uh, did you notice anything? And she said, yes, Jesus came into the room, and that's why I never went back. And that was such an amazing story. And I said to Jesus, you know, what's wrong? Why don't you do this every day? And we don't know why he chooses to... We don't know why he chooses to do sometimes things just out of the uh, ordinary. And uh, that just has stayed with me because uh, Jesus isn't afraid of course, we know that. But he goes into the darkest places with us. And wherever he sends us, he will be with us. And uh, there are um, uh, several stories in this book. And, and also about myself, of how God helped me. Um, people sometimes say, when I say, oh, I visit the red light, they say, oh, that is an amazing work. Um, th- there isn't much glory in visiting uh, Brussels. Um, they are very, very often dirty and dingy, and uh, and it's uh, not a nice place to sit and have a cup of tea. So uh, it's not a glorious job, and sometimes it is very difficult, and sometimes uh, you can't get into the flat. Very often people say, you know, we're busy, or uh, sometimes they don't want to see us. So uh, I, uh, with the help of Jesus, I really try to be very real, and not just write down the glorious stories, but also uh, the difficult ones. So I'm going to be sitting in the back afterwards, and if you would like to support me, then uh, I've brought some books with me. Thank you very much. Let's give Heidi a round of applause. Thank you very much, Heidi. Do talk to Heidi when you have a coffee at the end and uh, find out more about her ministry. Let's welcome Sam now, who's going to finish us off our series on together. On together, you're going to end the series in glory. Amen. Awesome. Hello. Hey, it's good to see you all. It's good to see all those of you that I know and all those of you that I don't. Well done. Um, Good. Shall we get cracking? Um, okay, how many of you have been at a previous talk in this series on Together? Most, most people? 
How many of you noticed that we were doing a sermon series of any kind? Okay, the numbers have dropped significantly. That's a good sign. We'll learn from that. Um, Good. Uh, I was going to get you to work in groups, but we're not going to. Uh, (laughs) Good. Um, Now, um, a number of weeks ago when we began this series, looking at how we do life together as church, um, we we looked at this passage in John 17, where when Jesus is praying for um, his disciples, but he's also praying for the whole project of the church, the global church, um, everyone who would believe in the name of Jesus through the apostles and their teaching, and, and that includes us. Jesus prayed for them, and in that in that prayer, he chose to focus on one particular aspect of the church. He chose to pray like this. My, pray, my prayer is not for them alone. He's talking about the disciples that were with him in the room. Um, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Thanks, Luke. I'm a bit quieter now, aren't I? Is that better? Less boomy? Ooh. Sorry? Still working on the boom boom. Uh, so that all of them... that. Uh, that all all who will believe through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Now we looked at how Jesus could have prayed any number of things for us as the church, couldn't he? He could have prayed that we would, um, that we would always be right, that we would always be faithful to the word, that we would um, be excellent in evangelism every single day. And I think Jesus really wants those things. But it's, isn't it striking that the thing he can't stop talking about in this, in this prayer to the Father, the night before he is betrayed, the night he is betrayed, Um, The night before his death, the thing that's on his heart is that the church would reflect the heart of God by being one together, by being community together, by modeling in ourselves the love of God that's expressed in Jesus, that's expressed in the Trinity. Isn't that incredible? That Jesus can't get out of his mind the feeling that his church needs to be a body of oneness, needs to be a community that is transformed um, by love. He says, then the world will know that you sent me. That this is actually essential for our mission, is that we as a church, both in this room and we as a church globally, express oneness together. We are not just many parts. We are one body. Correct? Whoa, you're all so enthusiastic about this. That's great. And that we become a community of love transformed by love. Um, he, said, he goes on to say this. Um, I'm just going to read the second half. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. John's full of writing like this. I, made no, I, made you, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that, now hear this, the love that you have for me may be in them and that I, may, I myself may be in them. Do you see? God wants us, Jesus wants us to be a people who, who so receive the love of God that his love becomes like a present reality in our lives, like an ongoing reality in our lives. Now, if you know anything about John, both John's gospel and the writings of John, you'll know that if there's one thing John can't stop talking about, it's love. John loves to speak about love. But do you know what John's original nickname was? Son of Thunder. What does that mean? 
Yeah, temper tantrum, mister. John, 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 John was given the nickname Son of Thunder. Strangely enough, I don't, I don't, does he mention it in John's Gospel? No, funnily, isn't it funny how that doesn't come up? Uh, I don't know, I can't, don't, don't quote that, one. we might be wrong. Um, Nigel's going to check now. Well, probably Luke's already checking, I don't know. Uh, but um, he, he's, he's called the Son of Thunder uh, by Jesus, him and his brother James. In other words, this is a guy who comes to Jesus with real issues around how he relates to other people. He's hot-tempered, he's quick to fight, um, Jesus isn't welcomed into one town. He's like, Jesus, would you like us to obliterate every man, woman, and child in this village? Because that seems like a proportionate response um, to what's just happened. Jesus is like, John, (laughs) chill out. But John becomes the perfect example of what it looks like when God's love moves into our hearts. That the gospel isn't just something that he knows intellectually. It's something that transforms him from being John, the son of thunder, to John, the apostle of love. Isn't that amazing? John the Apostle, who expresses just beautiful patience, beautiful um, care of the other in the words he writes. The way John puts it is, is, is that God's love is made perfect in us. What an interesting phrase. God's love is made perfect in us. No, he doesn't just say Christians are people who know God's love. Christians are people in whom God's love is made perfect, is brought to completion, is, is, is expressed in fullness. And that's his heart for us today. Now, this comes um, with uh, a little bit of a warning. Because where 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, John loves to speak about love, he also speaks about what the opposite of love can look like. And remember in this, He's writing to a church, not just to people. He's writing to a church. So just imagine he's writing this um, to us for a moment. He says this, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Now just follow the logic of that sentence for a moment. It's possible to claim to be in the light and actually not be. And the differentiating factor is, are we living in love? Do you see that? It's possible to think that you're following Jesus. It's possible to think that, hey, I know all the right stuff about God. I know the doctrines. I understand. I come to worship. I'm in church. And not be at all transformed by love. I think that's what John is saying. Now, that should strike us as a pretty heavy warning sign as a church, as we seek to be a people of love, that it's possible that someone in this room might know all the right answers about faith and not be transformed by love. Just look around and think who that might be for a moment. I can spot a few. (laughs) But what's it really saying? (laughs) What's it really saying is this. It's possible that I'm in this room and that I know some right, I don't know many right answers, but that I know some right things about faith. And that my heart has not been yet fully transformed by love. It's possible to know about Jesus. It's possible to say the creed, to sing the songs, and not have a heart that's transformed. He goes on, talks like this. Um, uh, We know that we have passed from death to life because we know all the right stuff. (laughs) Because we love our brothers. And anyone who does not love remains in death. Great. So now if you're struggling with love here this morning, now you're in darkness and you can't see anything that's going on and you're dead. Okay? So just, that's good. Um, Okay, next one. Um, 
Oh gosh, I have to click twice. This is so old-fashioned. Um, whoever does not love does not know God. So that's good. So now you're in darkness, you're dead, and you don't know anything about God. You don't know him. You don't, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus if you don't love the other people in this room. Um, whoever says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he tops it off here. He is a liar. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are a liar. No, kidding. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> but this, this should strike us as, as quite a heavy warning sign. It's possible to be a church and to not live in love. But we want to be a people who are transformed by the gospel, right? Who live in love together, who express the fullness of what Jesus wanted his church to be. And that means not just knowing stuff, but being transformed by a heart of love. And the reality is, if that's not a work in this room, like Jesus calls us to be love in here and outside to everyone else in the world no pressure. But if we're not doing it in this room, then the chances are we're not going to be able to do it anywhere else either. Does that make sense? The, the, the love that we have or don't have for each other in this room is going to be a pretty good litmus test for how we are able to love people who are maybe uh, different from us outside or, or have issues outside or whatever. Um, but if we, if we cannot be a community of love, then what we're essentially saying is our gospel is not really worth that much. If Jesus can't change us, if, this can't, if the message that we preach can't change us, there's no transformative power in it. We must be a people of love. In, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks at length to the church about a number of different issues they faced, and we looked at a few of them um, a couple of weeks back. And where does he lead them on a journey towards in that book? Key chapter in the book, 1 Corinthians 13. Love. Thank you, Ricky. Um, it's all about love. The issue isn't just how do you resolve your fights. It's how do you be a people who are compassionate and kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, I'm going to get it wrong, so I won't keep going. But you know what I mean. It's not self-seeking. It doesn't boast. In other words, those things can be present in a church, but we're called to be a people of love. And the reality is, if we do everything else right and not that, we are beyond useless. If we have our worship sussed, which we wouldn't actually, but we, if we thought we had our worship sussed, <laughs> then we're all right. Um, but we have not love. <laughs> we're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, right? If we have all the teaching sussed, which, you know, close, but have not love, we're beyond useless. You can do outreach projects and not have love. That, be worse than useless. We're called to be a people who embody love and then everything else flows from there. Does that make sense? Um, Jesus was speaking to a guy who had all the right theology and all the right answers um, uh, and, and really zero transformation. We're going to spend a little bit of time um, looking at this story. Um, it's in, from Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law, <laughs> basically, whenever, that, whenever there's that preface in the gospel, you know something funny is about to happen. Um, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So the guy's motivation is, take this guy down. Um, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what's written in the law? <laughs> um, he replied, how do you read it? Um, he answered, so the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and 
love your neighbor as yourself. Now, um, this is called the great command in the, in the Gospels. It comes up all the time where the, the whole of the law and the prophets are summed up in this command that really what God wants for his people is love. Love expressed to God in worship, love that flows out to each other. Um, but the guy knows, uh, Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. And then the guy comes out with this phrase. He, it says he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? What's he asking there? He's asking, okay, you want me to love, but how far do I have to love? Like, who do I have to love? The person sitting next to me on my row, do I have to go beyond that? Beyond my, do I have to love my family? Do I have to go beyond that? Do I have to love that weirdo in the next row? Do I, do, do I have to go beyond that? Do I have to love the person who doesn't look like me? Like, that's not an attitude. If <laughs> you noticed, that's zero attitude of love, even asking that question, right? Trying to draw a line around who I get to love or who I don't have to love. Um, anyway, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at this story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving two examples of people who were the religious elite of their day. If you're going to get two people who come across well in a story, these are going to be the two people. Priests, premium kind of stock, anointed, like they get to go into the temple, they get to minister to God, they get to like pour out the sacrifices and it's awesome and man, doesn't everyone want to be a priest? They're the ones who are really close to God. They're the ones who've really got it sussed. And Jesus says that in in his story, the, the priest has all the right stuff going on in his head, apparently, or he thinks he does. Zero transformation. So he crosses to the other side and walks away from this man who's on the verge of death. So to a Levite, similar situation, works in the temple, um, ministers before the Lord, uh, cleans everything, basically. The Levites are like the priest washes uppers, I think, basically. Um, and when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, if you know how Jesus tells stories, the curveball comes in. You all know this story, don't you? Try and hear it with fresh eyes. <laughs> Oh well. Um, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, uh, most of you will know the context, I think, to this. But Samaritans hated Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. This was a conflict that went back hundreds of years. If anyone was outside the remit of who I have to love, it's this guy, Okay. If anyone's outside of the remit of who's in and who's out, when when God says love my neighbor, well, he means my neighbor, but he doesn't mean that guy over there. This guy is outside of that in the thinking of most people. The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He had compassion on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, two denarii, two denarii, and gave them 
to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Just a few really brief observations from this story. The first thing that happens, the first response of love of this Samaritan is that he, when he saw him, he took pity on him. Do you notice that phrase? Every, all, all of the guys saw this guy um, by the side of the road, bleeding and messy and broken and hurting and um, in pain and with, with no hope. And the other two saw him and just kept walking. But the Samaritan saw him, saw the same thing, but saw him with fundamentally different eyes. They look at the same event and see something totally different. And I think there's the, part of the message of love is in how do we see each other? When we look at each other, what is it that we see? Um, I love this quote um, from Mother Teresa, who's just, I mean, come on. <laughs> That's Mother Teresa. Um, and she said this, We are called to be contemplatives in the heart of the world by seeking the face of God in every, everything, everyone, everywhere, all the time. You hear that? We are called to be contemplatives in the heart of the world by seeking the face of God in everyone. When we look at each other, what do we see? Do we see the face of God in everyone? Do we see the face of God in our neighbor? Um, Seeing and adoring the presence of Jesus, especially in the lowly appearance of bread. We've taken that together this morning, haven't we? The presence of Jesus expressed in the lowest thing like bread and in the distressing disguise of the poor. Do you see what she's saying? This is where love begins. It begins in how we see each other. When we look at each other, even in this room, what do we see? So often it's easy, isn't it, to see, oh, that person, they might cause me a problem. Oh, that person... They might want to talk to me for a bit too long, so I need to dodge them after the service. That person, I don't want to go there today. That person, ooh, I could get something from that person. They, they're, they're cool. Um, and, and we look at each other, and we forget that when we look at each other, we're called to see the image of God in, in, in everyone um, around us. There is no difference. Um, you see, so often we are, we're taught by our, our world, our culture, but when we look at people, we're to see the distinctives between us and them, the things that separate us. We're called to, we, we, it feels like we're being asked to look at all the little dividing um, things that make someone else different to us. But the gospel completely undermines all of that, doesn't it? Like when, when, when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he says, you know, uh, there used to be this divide where everyone would think, oh, I'm either a Jew or I'm a Gentile. And there's this kind of dividing wall. And what, what Paul writes is that the love of God expressed in Jesus fundamentally undermines that dividing wall. Now, that was a huge dividing wall, the dividing wall of race and ethnicity and culture and everything that separates us and my knowledge of God and you and you don't know anything And Paul just said, when we come to Jesus, even that huge difference between us becomes nothing at all. We are all one. We are all the same. There was um, an amazing guy in the Second World War. um, There were certain people who would um, just do this awesome work of rescuing Jews. And, you know, if you've seen um, Schindler's List, it's kind of an example of that. There was a Protestant village 
in southern France. Maybe there were others, but there's this one I know about because Melissa did her dissertation on it in her undergrad, de- uh, undergrad degree. Um, in Le Chambon sur Lignon is the village's name. And there was a pastor there um, called Pastor André Trocmé, I think. Um, I'm, I said that terribly. But um, legend, awesome, awesome, awesome guy. Um, and he basically would, would um, rescue Jewish children and send them to safety um, down railway lines, like, like, very much like this one, which is in the village. Um, and just a legend, just a legend. And when he, the kind of authorities came to him and questioned him in his, in his village one time, and they were like, we need you to identify um, the Jewish people in this village. As you kind of guess why. Um, and Pastor Andre just said this beautiful phrase. He said, we don't see Jews. We only see men. We only know men. Isn't that a beautiful way of putting it? Like, I don't actually, the difference you're asking me to see is just not a thing. We just see men. That is how we're called, and women. We're, that's how we're called to be together. We don't see difference. We just see that which makes us one. Amnesty International recently did a really awesome, awesome um, kind of, they called it an experiment, but really it's just a beautiful uh, picture, where what they did was they got Europeans and refugees um, to sit in, ro- in a room together and not say anything. Um, you would just sit, uh, one European, one refugee in chairs facing each other, and the challenge was this, just to look each other in the eyes for four minutes. Isn't that cool? Imagine that. Imagine the social pressure. <laughs> I can't stand holding eye contact. Um, but they just had to look at each other in the eyes for four minutes. If you haven't seen the video on YouTube of this happening, just search Amnesty International four minutes and watch it. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. As these people who, who will have identified themselves, you know, um, there's such a narrative at the moment, or particularly a few years ago, about, you know, Europeans versus or whatever, like, and the, the refugees are coming here and they're a threat and bloody blah, blah. But the, what, this, what this experiment did was when people just look at each other in the eyes, what they just see is their raw humanity and their story, and the beauty, and the image of God, which is just as much in the other, whatever their journey has been, as it is in me. And that is how we're called to be together. Um, We're called to see in each other something of real, real beauty. Um, Gosh, uh, there's a band that I love called The Brilliants. Um, They are brilliant. Um, And they wrote a song that goes like this. When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. Yeah? When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. It's just such a stunning thing. That is how we're invited to be as church. We're called not to make surface judgments about each other, not to see each other based on difference, but fundamentally to see each other um, as brothers. Is that cool? My other two points are shorter. Don't worry. Uh, the next, so firstly, uh, the guy sees, he sees him. He took pity on him. But the second thing that happens is this. He went to him. He made a decision that, if, that affected his feet, um, where he could have just seen him and thought, oh, man, I'm so moved with pity, and then switch off the TV and get on with whatever it is that you were doing uh, before. Does anyone feel like that sometimes when you see something that kind of strikes you emotionally? Um, but we're called not just to see, not just to be impacted in our heart, but then to move towards each other, to move towards even the suffering 
um, in each other. So where the, where the uh, priest and the Levites saw the guy, they moved away, didn't they? He, Jesus says they, they went on the other side of the road. They tried to dodge the issue and dodge the pain of getting involved in this guy's life. But love moves towards the other. Love makes the first move towards the other. And he wasn't like, well, when the guy, you know, maybe shows me some attention, maybe expresses some need or some thanks or some, excuse me, mister, or some politeness, then I'll move towards him. No, love makes the first move. I was really struck by, um, I'm looking forward to reading Heidi's book, um, and how that, that whole ministry is about moving towards people in the place of their deepest pain. Um, well, sorry, so I understand. I might be wrong. But um, there's a beautiful statement of actually when, when, I, when I discover a place that God wants me to get involved, I actually have to go and be there. Or think about it in a, in a room like this. Think about it in a room like this. If God wants us to be a people of love together, sometimes that involves making the first move with each other. Something, sometimes that might even involve, <laughs> now, just don't get offended, sitting in a different part of the room. <laughs> I love kind of knowing roughly where all of you are going to sit. I was having a coffee with, sorry, Michael. I was having a coffee with Michael a few weeks ago, and he talked about how when he first came to this church, people kept trying to introduce him to the young adults, and he just kept trying to avoid us. Because um, he was like, I probably am going to get to know the young adults, but the, the easiest thing is to kind of get siloed off into a group, isn't it? Um, so he was like, I'm just going to sit in a different part of the room every week um, and try and not talk to any of uh, the young adults. I don't know why I just pointed over here. Oh, that's why. Um, but um, but the, it's so tempting, isn't it, just to kind of come to church and we know our friends and then we kind of get our little group and then we stay there. And the love that Jesus invites us into calls us to move beyond that. Um, when was the last time I initiated a new relationship with someone? When was the last time I moved out of my comfort zone and said, hey, I think love is inviting me to come and talk to you? Don't say that because that will sound weird. But you know what I mean. Um, they'll just be like, what? Uh, run and hide. Um, but so, so firstly, he sees the guy. Secondly, he makes the first move. Love calls us to be those who initiate. I mean, it's a gospel in which God makes the first move, right? And the second move, and the third move, and the fourth move, and the fifth move. The gospel is about Jesus moving himself into our place of brokenness and pain and getting involved. And then the third thing, really simply, love is about what we do with our hands. Love is about getting involved in the mess of each other's lives. Uh, For the Samaritan, loving this guy doesn't just involve the heart. It doesn't just involve going to him. It involves actual personal cost. It involves actually involving with the guy's life. It involves messing up his whole day. He didn't schedule for this. It messed up his time. It involved his like cost financially. He had to pay the innkeeper. It involved his possessions. He had to put this bloodied, stained guy on his donkey. Um, and, and wrapped, and it cost him wine. I mean, come on, that's, that's love. <laughs> um, uh, 1 John 3, John writes this to the church. He says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Oh, I've got the slide as well. Oh, no, back. Um, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love, not with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let us love, not just with words, 
not just in tongue, but with actions and in truth. One of the stories I love to tell um, was, so you probably heard it all before, um, but was one of the moments in my life when I realized that Melissa was the woman that I was going to marry. And it's a very romantic story. We've just been on holiday with our parents um, in France. Did I say woman? I did say woman, didn't I? Um, I was worried that I just said the man I was going to marry, and that's a different story. Um, so, but, so that's good. So we're on the same page. Now I've ruined it. Um, but uh, we've just been on holiday with my parents in France and had a lovely time. Um, and it had been a great two weeks. And the time came for that journey home. Now, you know the journey home from a holiday, right? It's never as fun as the journey to the holiday. Um, but there was an added bonus in this particular journey, which was the night before we were going to leave early in the morning. I came down with quite a serious case of both endsness. Um, and I was kind of having a whole party by myself in the bathroom. And it was just awful. It was like, but we couldn't, like, you couldn't stay. The booking ran out. We had a ferry to get to. So I had to sit on these hot motorways. We didn't have air conditioning in the car. <laughs> it's just like, kind of, you know, when you're sweating and then you get cold and then you're like, stop the car right now. And you had to kind of pile out and just run into a bush and uh, poor bush. Um, I think the bush is still receiving ministry from it. Um, and, uh, and there was this one moment on the journey where I had to get out in a, in a little car park and just, I didn't even get to the edge of the car park, just throwing up all over the middle of the car park. And, you know, it's dripping and it's coming out your nose and all this kind of stuff. Um, and <laughs> you're wondering, where is this going? <laughs> it's going somewhere. And I just felt this hand on my shoulder as I was bent double throwing up in my like most attractive moment really um kind of sweating and um and melissa was just right there next to me with her hand on my shoulder and she was just willing to get out the car and come and be with me at my worst and come and clean like (laughs) like bring a tissue and and i was like oh man if she doesn't mind me like this if she can take me at my worst then this is someone i want to be with good story, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Let us love, not just with words or tongue, but with actions. Let's love when it, when it hurts. Let's love when it costs us. Let's love when it involves getting mess, getting, uh, getting each other's, the mess of each other's lives in, like on us. Does that make sense? Let's love like that. Let's be a church community that loves like that. Now, the problem with teaching on love um, in a church is, firstly, you've all heard it before. Like, it's a sermon on love. I mean, come on. Like, everyone knows, yeah, we should be loving together. Um, And so there's this kind of switch-off thing that can happen. But secondly, part of the problem with preaching on love is that there's no definitive way that we are called to show love to one another. There's not like, here's three things to do, done, sorted. Does that make sense? It's much more complicated than that because love requires responding to the other in what they need. So at the end of this parable, um, Jesus says to the guy, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Uh, You're supposed to hear a sulky voice. Notice he doesn't say the Samaritan because the worst thing he wants to admit is that the Samaritan could be the hero of any story. So anyway, so the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, what Jesus didn't mean is go to the path between Jerusalem and Jericho and wait on the off chance 
that a guy will be uh, mugged and brutally assaulted and left for dead. Bring a donkey. Don't forget the donkey. Do you know what I mean? It's not a manual for this is exactly what love looks like. But he's inviting us to go on a journey of becoming more loving, whatever that might look like in this community. Does that make sense? There's no three things that you can do, tick off and think, yay, I'm now, I've completed it. I've, I've completed love. I've done it. Um, kind of get the little award, get a badge, the love badge in church. It doesn't work like that. This is a journey, a journey of um, discipleship. There's no formula to it. Um, but speaking of discipleship, um, <laughs> this is a journey that we can go on together, and we're invited to go on together. And if you're not yet in a discipleship group... Um, discipleship groups are where we meet in threes or fours if you must um, and and meet just to pray together and talk about what is it that God's inviting me to um, together I'm in a discipleship with um, uh, with a couple of you here uh, well one of you here Uh, I can't remember their names Um, but I was having uh, we were meeting um, and I think I was talking about well no I was talking about how I feel like actually at home Sometimes I can be with Martha and only semi-present with her. I don't know if any, anyone else of you ever has this with anyone in your family. Um, but where, you know where you're kind of half-focused and your mind is elsewhere? And I was noticing this happen more and more as I was thinking about, like, you know, uh, even really, like, unimportant things. Like, you know, I wonder what's happening with Brexit today. Um, and, and I was letting kind of all these unimportant... <laughs> Okay, uh, completely out of my hands things, completely out of my control. Um, And I was letting it affect, actually, gosh, I'm being less attentive with my child. And the discipleship group was great because it was a place that I could speak with a few people about, gosh, I'm really struggling to love in this area of my life as well as Christ is inviting me to. And then they could challenge me on it and they could bring it up the next time. Hey, Sam, how are you finding it? being present with your daughter. Maybe that's, maybe, uh, you probably all don't have that exact same issue. Um, but let's use, let's, let's use each other to grow more in love. Let's invite the challenge. Let's be there for each other and move forward in discipleship as God invites us to be a community of love. Is that fair? Good. Let's, why don't we do some prayer for maybe half an hour and then Luke will lead us in worship for an hour or so and then we can go. Is that good? But no, it would be really good to pray. We're rounding off this series. It feels like let's not just kind of... um, So let's get into little groups of, you know, four or five and just pray for each other to be full of love. Pray for this church to be a church known um, for its love for one another. Um, So pray for that together. And is that good? Great. If you feel awkward doing this or you really, really uh, just... Maybe you're a total introvert. Maybe it's your first time here and you're like, what is happening then try and look spiritual by shutting your eyes and putting your hands out like this, and no one will talk to you. Um, this is a good, good way of dodging it. Or, or be really brave and engage, and it will be worth it. <laughs>